We have spatchcocked. Oh, you did? A, a spatchcocking has occurred in this house. Did you do the duck? We we chickened. Oh, you chickened? We spatchcocked a chicken. Nice. Very good. A chicken. Was it it's, delish? It was quite tasty. We brined it. Yeah. Brined it for dry brine or hours. wet brine? Wet brine. Okay. Wet brine. Wet brine. Submerged brine. It, look, it was delicious. It was moist and juicy and succulent. Yes. It looked so pathetic when it was just laid out on the pan like that. Flat? <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you take the legs off when you spatchcocked or did you uh, leave them oh, on? We left, we left legs on. Also, I should maybe be a little more specific. I just, you know, she, she spatchcocked. I kind of watched. <laughs> There's a lot of bone crunching in the spatchcocking process. She knew what she knew what she was doing. I, 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 I assisted in other ways. Gina likes to be in the other room when the spatchcocking is happening because yeah. she finds the rib section particularly discomforting. Oh, I, I didn't have a problem with that. I just didn't know what I was doing. Like she, ah. she had done it before, but it's all the anatomy is all the same. It's, you know, something yeah. about it, though, man, when it's just it's flattened and splayed out on the pan like that, it's just undignified. There's something <laughs> there's something undignified about that bird. Look, to me, what that says is uh, the deliciousness is about to happen and I get excited because I know I'm going to have a perfectly cooked chicken. The, the bird is just prone and yeah. awaiting the inevitable. It's reached its maximum potential. That's right. Uh, the We did the lazy person thing this year and we ordered a cooked turkey Ooh. that we just chucked in the oven for like two hours to warm up and like crisp up the skin a little bit. Where'd you get it from? Uh, we went to buy right. It's a Mary. It was a Mary's. I think. I don't know. Okay. It was probably really expensive. Gina doesn't tell me what the turkey costs because ah. she knows I'll probably like be like, God damn it! You can get a butterball for twenty five dollars. It's a dark secret. You'd be better off not knowing. Just yeah. stick with stick with the dark meat. Leave the dark secrets. Yeah. The uh, but we did. We made mashed potatoes and we made pies and then the rest of the stuff we just got the buy right sides. Man, that sounds all right. It was. Like we we got to spend all day like we we played some games we we uh, did some Animal Crossing we did uh, Turkey Day stuff in Animal Crossing got all sorts of hot new recipes you know it was a good day did it at any point feel like surrender uh, no it was it was look here's the thing we didn't make we didn't make your mom's casserole which is a personal favorite mm -hmm. uh, we didn't make the stuffing that we usually make which I quite like and I kind of missed both of those things like that was the that was the sacrifice here right. But but we traded the time back and like we made my daughter and I made pies on Wednesday night and she is she's almost nine now. And she was like, like she peeled all the apples with the apple peeler gadget, you know, the spinny, the crank thing. And uh, then she sliced them all up with the, with her knife. Okay. And like the only parts of the pies I did were the crust bits. And she basically did the rest. It was awesome. She's reaching proper sous chef age. Yeah, it's really cool. She she peeled and chopped up all the potatoes too. I was shocked. She's ready to go, man. How many pounds was the turkey? Uh, thirteen. We do we do small ones when it's just the three of us. Wait, thirteen pounds is a small turkey? Yeah, like a twenty. The one I, when you come when we have when we have like that year that we had in the backyard and had twenty people over, we had a twenty six pound turkey. I think. Holy moly! Yeah. The, the nice thing about doing the small ones, I mean, if we were cooking it, it's way easier to cook a small turkey. Like it's. It's if you have oven space for it, it's way easier to cook two 13 pound turkeys than one 26 pound turkey, because like the 26 pound turkey, you basically in my experience, in order to make sure that the, the dark meat is done and the breast isn't crisp and dry, you have to spatchcock it and separate the legs from the breast because you need to the breast will be done like the breast finishes at like 160 degrees, 165 degrees. The thighs and the legs and the, and the drumsticks will finish at 180. So. 
Like you either need to have more heat on them, which is really hard to do given the relative anatomy of the bird, or you have to be able to separate them out and pull them out when the, when the, pull the breast out when it's done. Ah, hence the spatchcocking. Hence the spatchcocking. Well, maybe one day I'll be able to enjoy another leg. Brad, I, I think 2022, I think mm-hmm. it's our year. Yeah. The future. The year of the turkey leg. I, I look, if we can't do it next year inside, we'll do a GoFundMe so we can pitch in. We'll get a big tent set up in the backyard and we'll just eat it in the backyard. Whether we have to go out in the woods to eat a turkey leg, it's going to happen. Yeah. One way or the other. Hell yeah. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Happy post-Thanksgiving to you. Happy darkest of Fridays to you, my oh, friend. No. <laughs> it is the blackest Friday, I forgot. Yes. I've been avoiding... It's funny, if you avoid social media, you kind of lose any sense of the shopping frenzy that is currently taking place. I I bought one thing today. Yeah. The fine folks at Elgato had lights on a pretty good deal, and I wanted to upgrade my light situation for a long time. So I picked up a pair of uh, of lights. It was basically like buy one, get one free. Wow. Which ones? The smaller ones? The smaller I bought the key lights? I got the normal size key lights because I need to highlight that. I need to hit the green screen. Wait, you bought two of the full side? Yeah, I'm I'm going to put on either side. Well, because if I don't, I get shadows on the green screen, and then things look weird. That is intense. I have one of those things, and it's a lot. Well, yeah, but, but you're like, they, trust me, there are two options here. One is I could clean up and decorate the area behind me enough that it looks like a, something that's presentable. Mm-hmm. Or I could spend an extra hundred bucks on an extra light and then I don't have to do that. Do you ever, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to sound like I'm accusing anybody of anything, but. Oh, this sounds very judgy. Do you, <laughs> do you ever wonder what's going on, especially in this like, like constant Zoom culture that we are inhabiting now? Like from the waist down? Well, do you ever wonder if people that hide their backgrounds, like what's going on there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why. Why do you think I hide my background? I want to have a sense of mystery. Well, so you are you are in that role. So you should be able to tell me. Yeah, I. Is it a messy house people are trying to cover up? Is do you have do you have questionable artwork on your walls? I don't know. Well, no, for me, the problem is that the the room is too is a like the the um the window that faces west and gets sun almost all day is be- directly behind my computer. Uh-huh. So. If I have that, if I don't block it up somehow, then it it blows out the entire scene and I'm backlit the whole time. And it so looks here, bad. I, here I was acting all suspicious when, in fact, you were just trying to be considerate of. I mean, I do have my grow op back there, too. <laughs> so <laughs> don't want people to see your hydroponics setup. Yeah, no, it's frowned upon in some states. Yes. Uh, but anyway, we got. Uh, yeah, I picked up the lights. That's all I've gotten. So I was looking for wheel deals. Wheel deals. Wheel, look, I'm wheeling and dealing here, man. I got, I've gotten, I've been enjoying on, the Forza a lot. Deals on wheels. Oh God, that kind of wheel. Yeah. Look, Ryan, Ryan can't tell me not to buy one. That's, so oh boy. No, I guess not. I know <laughs> it's dark, but, um, yeah. um, but no, I, uh, I kind of want to like, look, my, I play PUBG every night and it's kind of, it's on, it's on the, I don't want, I don't want to alarm you. Wait, PUBG is not great 
the health of the game is not great these oh. days. The player base is a little thin. I didn't think that's where you were going to go with that. I thought you were going to say something about PUBG having wheel support. No, no. The problem is I'm like looking at what I'm going to do post PUBG. Oh, God, that's grim. Is it yeah. that bad? Well, like outside, I, I'm transitioning from like five or six nights a week to like maybe three nights a week. Huh. And I need something to do in those other those other nights. God, probably. I, I mean, this is not a technically a video game podcast, but now here I am Googling PUBG player base. Their player base would be healthy if they had a sane number of cues. That's I didn't the, think I didn't know things were that bad. The problem is that they have first person and third person singles, duos and squads ranked. And also this casual queue for noobs so they can play mostly against bots and not get beaten up by people like me who put 4,000 hours in the game. So anyway, yeah, racing. I'm thinking I, I might dip into racing. So I'm you looking for an entry. I was looking for an entry level wheel and the Twitter told me basically get the Logitech G920 and it's fun. So, so I'm you're looking on the for deals there. I'm on you're the on hunt. The deals on wheels. I love deals. Everybody loves deals. I, I shouldn't. We have a whole episode to do that we haven't even gotten to yet, but here I am typing Black Friday and I just want to see if there's anything I should know about. Probably not. Also, it's probably fine. Um, also, I have to say, I think Steam caps out at 4,098 hours. Okay. On games because I'm at 4,000. It said I've, I'm said, it said I've at 4,098 hours for a really long time. Now Interesting. Okay. Which is weird. Anyway. Huh. Okay. Should we do, should we do, what are we doing here this we week, should, Brad? What's the deal? We should, What's the a, we should, we should a some cues. I would a some cues right now. Okay. <laughs> well, I have good news for you. I have this whole Google doc full of cues here. Hey, did you, did you grab the ones out of email too? I should have asked this before we started the thing, but we had a couple <laughs> of good ones in email too. I did not. I was hoping you might. Oh, oh, I can do those. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't stay um, signed into that Google account because I don't know about you, but I don't like managing multiple Google accounts per browser anymore. If I, can I stay signed into them because I get just in case somebody says, hey, we would like to give you a whole lot of money to do something. Mm, um, I guess that is a useful reason. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So we're turning cues into A's. If you have cues, you can send them to. Techpod at content.town. <laughs> I was waiting to see if you'd say it. Techpod at content.town? Techpod at content.town. Or if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can go into the Discord and look for the channel that is labeled Q's Seeking A's. Question, question seeking answers. Question seeking answers. Yeah, okay, whatever. Question seeking answers. I, don't think, I, I think they don't let you capitalize in a Discord channel name. Is that you right? You cannot. No. Yeah. Well, no. So. You can capitalize in threads, though, because the Good Gift Thread 2021 edition yeah. is all capitalized. But channels, you can't do goofs featuring capital letters, unfortunately. Nope. Nope. So it'd be lowercase Q's featuring uh, seeking lowercase A's. Anyway. Yes. Brad, you have some Q's to turn I into A's. I do have some Q's here. How about I read some now? Thanks to our illustrious listeners and patrons. Heck yeah. Um, I'll start at the start from Najin. Hopefully I'm saying that right. When you decide to jump into a new tech project you're unfamiliar with, what is your process for figuring it out? Do you dive heavy into research before any purchases, ask around for advice, buy the tech and just start tinkering right away or something else? Hmm. Uh, wow. So I don't. I, there was a time in my life when I just bought stuff and then figured it out. And that almost always ended unsatisfactorily <laughs> in my experience. <laughs> yes, I would believe that. Um, the mostly that was when we were on a like like we had a budget to do projects and we would basically just, you know, 
we, we had to spend the money every month or it would disappear. Sure. So, uh, well, well, if it's for a work situation, that's a little different because yes. Yeah. Like, and, and, and uh, like a time constraint, like on a lot of tested videos, we had like 10 days to do something and we would just buy everything we could th- think we could possibly need. Right. And then bring an expert in and do the thing live. And it would sometimes work and sometimes it wouldn't. It was a frustrating process. It was yeah. not a good process. And in a work situation, though, the, the constraints on resources are different. Dramatically. Than, yeah. if, than if you're doing a personal project, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You, you, can, you can afford to get a little sloppy when there is a company backing you on some things. So, like, I built a robot or designed a robot. I haven't actually built it and I'm probably realistically not going to at this point. But I designed a robot last year and I basically opened up um, Fusion 360 and mapped the whole project out built it so it was working in like so i could see how the pieces went together in fusion uh and see what i would need to laser cut what i would need to get 3d printed and stuff like that and like that was pretty good and then i bought all the stuff and then i ran out of time so (laughs) so all the stuff is just sitting it's in a box behind the green screen in the in the area of shame yeah uh, this may shock you to hear, but I am the king of research and, no. and deliberation. You don't say. Uh, before jumping into something like this. Oh, weird. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think like last few projects, like the Mister, I got into pretty quickly because there's such a thriving community and there's so many people on our Discord that were able to advise. So that one was pretty easy to jump into. But like, like when I built my NAS three years ago and change, like that was like weeks of looking at Synologies and QNAPs and like thinking about hard drive prices and like how many bays do I need? And like, Oh, maybe I should just build a whole ass computer here instead of one of these integrated boxes. That was a lot of, that was a lot of those, that was weeks of looking and wringing of uh, hands. So I, um, yeah, I, I try, I try not to like, I try, I try to, I tend to make a decision faster. I think than you do Mm -hmm. without, I say that without malice. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's, a like, it's a challenging, it's challenging to know when you're at the spot, when, when, when the good time is there, right. Um, to, to make the, to make the, make the jump. So I mean, when you know enough, yes. When you have the right choice, when you have the information you need to make the right choice. Like I've been thinking about, it's time for my NAS to get upgraded. And I've been thinking about maybe moving to like a much, much, much smaller machine that does the compute stuff that lives on that box, like yeah. Plex and all that stuff. I, I think about the same thing. I mean, I'm on a 6700K. You're on a, what is it? A Broadwell E? I think Broadwell E's 5850 like, or something, I think. Yeah. Neither of those are the most power efficient for a thing that sits around running 24-7. Especially in BSD. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, so I was looking at like, maybe I should just get a four-port Synology and use that for the storage bit. And then buy like a or build a real low power machine that can live and just run 24 seven with Proxmox or something on it and and do my uh, all my containers that way. So sure. I don't know. It's probably a problem for next year. But, you know, here we are. Yeah, I find. Um, well, maybe you don't have this problem because you've lived in that world more than I have, but like. I basically stopped paying attention to PC hardware in particular for years in between needing to build a PC, but then coming back is always so like, that's quite frankly, half the reason I still haven't upgraded my aging rig is because I just have not had the energy to do the research required because it feels like every time I come back to build a new machine, there's like an order of magnitude more stuff I need to catch up on. 
So it's funny for me, the last few computer upgrades, like I, I built that Broadwell E machine because my previous machine crapped out and I was in the middle of a project for work that I absolutely had to have access to a real computer. It was the only one in the house that could run VR stuff at the time. So I literally, like I didn't have a choice and, and because of deadlines and I literally looked at what central computer had that was going to be sufficient and went and bought whatever they had that day and a new motherboard and was like, well, here I am. This is my new computer for <laughs> a while. Sounds, that sounds freeing in a way. Like I'm, I, I don't like I'm I'm too gray beardy to ever buy a pre-built machine. But every time I see somebody talking about buying a pre-built machine, I'm just like, man, that seems like freedom. There's I mean, having done a fair amount of work with pre-built machines in the last couple of years, there's a real pro and con like like it's nice to just have to know that it's reasonably well configured out of the box and that you're not screwing up memory timings or something like that and making hitting a lot of performance. Um, but I do like knowing everything that's on the computer. Uh, the so yeah, that was easy. The current gaming PC, I got the CPU for doing an Intel thing. So that made that decision pretty straightforward. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a, I'm in a weird situation on that stuff though. I think, uh, one of the things that people, I, I, there's a bunch of review sites that have good, um, kind of guidelines for, you know, building upgrades and stuff like that, that do like configurations that people actually build and vet and stuff like that, that are incredibly useful. These yeah, days. A lot of the crowdsource stuff like PC part picker and similar tools like that seem to let people uh, collaborate on a lot of knowledge. Yeah. And stuff like also, you know, like the gamers nexuses and digital foundries and stuff like, uh, like it's, it's great that there's so much detail out there these days, but I feel like it has also led to kind of an information overload situation. Of well, like it's, like, like I dip my toe into just like, oh, maybe I'll start thinking about an upgrade. Let me start seeing what's new in motherboards. And like people are passing around spreadsheets of motherboards ranked by the quality of the voltage regulation modules that they use. And like this board is eight layer instead of six layer. And it's just like, fuck, I, well, I'm never going to make a decision. This is too much. Part of it, though, is you have to know that that stuff doesn't apply to you. Like that I, stuff I matters know. if you're doing extreme overclocking. Yes, but yes, if you're I doing know. like normal computer shit, who cares? I know. I know. The, the problem I have, and I've been thinking about this because I know that like PC, uh, not PC part picker, Linus Tech Tips and and the Gamers Nexus and those guys are really popular on the Discord. And I don't really read that stuff for entertainment anymore, which is probably a, a result of me. Like, I don't keep up with those markets for entertainment. I keep up with it because it's important for the show and because I like to know what's going on. But like, I don't want to watch a 30 minute video about a new CPU ever. And I really just want to like open up this is old man me coming out, but I want to go and open up like 19 or 2005 and Nantech and get a 30 page article that I can go hit the end and then zip back to the 10 things that seem interesting and important to know about. And, and then my information for that product is, is done. I'm good. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next question. Yeah. How about this question from knowledge plucks? It's a good, that's a good handle. It's not bad. Brad just pronounced .png as ping on a Nextlander podcast. It's always been PNG in my head, uh, but I can't say I've ever heard anyone actually say it out loud. What is the correct way to pronounce that file extension? And what are some other extensions that people are wrong about? No need to get into GIF. Those fields are long since burned over. Pass. No, no. Ping is how I say it. Yeah, ping. I'd like if, if this was purely about GIF, I would agree with you. We should just move on. But ping, like less contentious. Let's say in my head, I actually just think of it as portable network graphic. Every time I see the acronym <laughs> as it should be uh, uh, now, I like, 
Yeah, I think ping is fine. I, I feel like Vinny got me started saying pings probably. I think I, I, I started out as a PNG person, I believe, back at well, – when did pings come on the scene, would you say? 2010-ish? Oh, like around release? the time we were in the basement probably yeah. is when, was when like bandwidth got cheap enough that suddenly you were like, man, I can do a lossless version of this image. That's amazing. I, I floated this question on one of the discords I'm on. I forget if it was the TechPod or the Nextlander, but like how far off do you think we are from lossy compression being a thing of the past? Well, like, as like long as video is distributed on the internet, lossy so, compression will always exist. Well, I, 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 you know what? Sorry. Uh, video is probably the worst example to talk about here. Like I could see maybe audio. Yeah, maybe. Like audio. I, I You know, this is like this kind of, I, I've basically just ruined my own thought experiment by, by excluding video from it because it's like the most widely distributed compressed data there is, right? But I guess I, guess I was thinking more audio and still images. Well, like, so like, still like, images, I think we're there, right? Like, like it's... A, Oh, there's still a lot of JPEGs out there. Well, yeah, but the default that almost everybody uses, like people use JPEGs for thumbnails where quality doesn't matter as much. But then when you click in, it's often a PNG if you uploaded a source PNG. I guess it's it's quite a bit more common. You're right than than it used to be. Is wouldn't is WebP? Lossless? Web, web WebP is the Google unencumbered. Yeah, I know, it's, I know yeah. it's Google's, but is it is it lossless or it might have lossless and lossy options? I forget. I can't. I don't. I don't know enough about it to know. But that, I just that, feel like that's I mean, an interesting topic. Probably we should dig into that. Yeah, like it's it's basically just a function of how much storage you have, how much bandwidth you have, how much compute you have, right? Like, are there any other considerations there? Like, well, mobile. I mean, on mobile, the bandwidth matters a lot more, but that's increasingly not a problem. That's, that's what I too. mean. You know, it's like I, this is this is very much somebody who has been amassing a collection of flax talking here. Mm-hmm. But it just made me wonder at some point, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to we might not be that far off from the point where like lossy compression of audio, for example, doesn't make as much sense anymore. Well, so I think that the the other thing is I, I think lossy. So, so OK, there's two conflict. There's two there's two things that are working against this idea that everything should be lossly loss lossless. Um, and if you don't know what lossy and lossless means, all it means is uh, um, lossy stuff, the data, it's not a perfect copy that's just compressed. So like a JPEG is lossy in that it does some some data loss every time you make a JPEG, a new JPEG out of the existing JPEG. And if yeah. you do like 30 generations of JPEGs, this is why some meme images look really garbagey after a long time is that they get dithered and the compression artifacts start building up. And Right. Like compression is basically just it's removing information that is kind of deemed inessential to the quality of the thing yeah. or hopefully as seamless as possible, whether it's like frequencies you can't hear in audio or like you know, flat color regions in a, an image yeah. being kind of flattened down even more and stuff like that. But, um, the way that I, I, to flip this on its head a little bit, like the way that I've learned to think about things like flack, like lossless compression is that it's essentially just a zip file for an audio track. Yeah. Maybe like, with better algorithms for compressing that particular type of media, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm being very reductive, but just, I guess more to the point, like in the same way that you could put a text file in a zip file and then pull a text file back out. And it's not like a third of the A's are now missing from that text file, right? Like it's the exact same text you put in there. Like it's the same thing for like, you know, lossless image, lossless audio. Like you're getting the exact same thing out that you put into it. It's just smaller until you do that. Well, so here's the thing, though, like the thing about images that are interesting, because like on websites, the people who make the images and design the websites probably care about what they look like more than anybody who uses the website. <laughs> that is almost certainly true. <laughs> right. So they're probably going to do pings wherever it makes sense yeah. until they run it into the how how heavy is my page thing on mobile. And then they were like, oh, man, the people on the iPhone fours on a 3G network are going to have a real bad time with this. But there's no people with iPhone fours on a 3G network anymore that are probably hitting most websites. So who cares? Yeah. Fuck them. 
Yeah. The oh, I look. I'm sorry. iPhone strong stance. <laughs> Uh, the next step of this is like the the, the users are the users going to demand lossless audio on their streaming services. And Apple's made a big bet on this. Like they do a lot of lossless stuff. They do lossless across to their to their do headsets, they? to the I, AirPods Pro and the Air Ma- AirPods Max. I did not know that. Does yeah. Apple Music also offer you, lossless? You, I you thought can, after the kind of title fiasco, I thought that people had backed away from lossless audio streaming. Well, that was on Match. Um, the lossless stuff on Apple music is it's an option so you can get it. I'm going to confirm right now, but, uh, you can, you can choose to download lossless based on what type of connection you're on, on Apple music. I believe is that, is that an upsell? Like you have to subscribe Oop. to some, really, it's just part of the base package, it's part of the deal. Jeez. That's, uh, I don't know how to find my settings on Apple music, but anyway, um, so yeah, that like, that's, that's where you're at. Right. And I don't think people care is the bad thing. Like, I, think I don't think, right. yeah, you're absolutely right. Like people watch video on YouTube and YouTube is the shittiest compression for video on the internet pretty consistently. Oh, for sure. Um, so I, th- I think we've talked about this many times, right? Like in many contexts, like good enough is generally good enough, right? Like that's yeah. why VHS beat out beta and you know, like you name the name, the format war, the good enough one that is cheaper usually is the one that wins, right? So Apple Music has it a lossless audio option. You can flip it on and then you can say, okay, then this is where it gets stupid. Do you want to download uh what which quality do you want to download on cellular? Hi, that's com- that's lossy compressed. On uh for downloads, that's lossless. For 5G and Wi-Fi, I don't know why in the hell they would bundle a cellular network <laughs> with the caps and the home network without caps. Uh so yeah, anyway, high res lossless. It's it's a weird, it's a weird. It's a weird thing. Like Tidal and, and Apple Music seem to be the only ones that care about that. Spotify, on the other hand, is just like, hey, not only do we care what not really care what the quality is like, we'll also send you a cover of the song that you want. If you want to listen to the bangles walk like an Egyptian and you don't say play the bangles walk like an Egyptian, then it'll just give you like some some chud in Kansas singing walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> oh boy. That sounds pretty much like the bangles, but not quite. And there will be a line or two about Fortnite in there somewhere. It's 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 not it's not OK. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's see here. Ping is that is the correct answer. Ping, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're fine to say ping. Um, let's see. How about question from Grant? Hi, Grant. Uh, we talked about this two episodes ago, I think, when I had had a little bit of minor motion sickness coming out of VR. Yeah, and, and you talked about that you can build up a tolerance. Yes, but it takes some time. And not everybody can do it. Also. Oh, interesting. Okay. So here's a follow-up question from Grant. Will building up a tolerance to VR sickness help folks flying into space not get space sick? In other words, will spending increasingly long times in bad VR implementations here on Earth help me for my one-way trip to Mars? Oh, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. But um, I mean, more generally, uh, like as an actual serious question, like people have all kinds of actual motion sickness issues in cars, planes, whatever. Like, yeah. Like, do you, do you think there is a, a, a correlation there that you could desensitize yourself in VR and then have that apply to like car sickness. I'm really curious. So I don't get motion sick at all on earth, right? Like I can do almost anything that makes mo- every, everybody motion sick and nothing ever happens to me. And you're, you're talking actual motion, not virtual motion in VR. Both. Like I can play, really? I can play bad, impl- badly implemented VR games in the back of a moving car driving up us one <laughs> and not get motion. Jeez, sick. Jeez, man, that's, you have, 
you have inner ears of steel. Well, it's it's a thing. So we we learned about this a little bit at Tested because Jamie Heineman's the same way. Like they could put they they found out really early on. He just his brain isn't set up so that he, he doesn't get like he's able to divest. You, OK, so the physiological basis for motion sickness generally is that your inner ear detects movement that your eyes don't or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So in VR, often your your eyes will see movement and your brain is like, oh, I should be feeling movement in my ears. But then you feel nothing. The motion sickness that you get in space is a little bit different because a lot of it is there's two things that happen. One is that, you know, normally because of gravity, our fluids kind of pool in our lower half of our body, like our legs carry a lot of fluid. And when you're in microgravity, all of that liquid redistributes itself evenly throughout your body over a period of like three, four days. Pretty Hmm. unpleasant. Yikes. You get real stuff, stuffy, stuffy and stuffed up. I, I, I was going to say, do you get kind of bloated feeling sort of? I mean, you get sausage fingers is what ugh. the astronauts have told me. Not know. like not like bad sausage fingers, but like you feel like you've you feel like you ate a, a really like a giant salt bomb of a meal that for like a week. Really and get super stuffed up. That's very unpleasant to contemplate. It seemed unpleasant. And like yeah. the the apparently we I've never gotten any of them to get into it when I've talked talked to them, but like the mechanics of blowing your nose oh no in space are are there's unpleasant. Mechanics of a lot of things, I'm sure, are a pretty big wake up call once you get up there. Yeah, there's a reason a lot of astronauts don't have giant beards, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um have you ever thought to yourself how kind of disappointing it is that like like look, we're we're nowhere near a civilization in space, off-world exploration, like XYZ, like aspirational, far-flung space thing. Like it's not going to happen anytime soon, right? Like I'm not saying that, but even if it were a possibility, have you ever felt disappointed that like all those like mid-century visions of like, you know, space civilizations are basically going to be impossible due to just the basic frailty of the human body in space. Like there are so many things that we didn't account for, like reading some old, uh, Arthur C. Clarke a few weeks ago, I think I talked about it on the show, like those old stories are full of like, again, aspirational visions of like space stations and like, oh, there's a cardiac center in orbit around Earth because it turns out that low gravity is good for the heart. Like they had all these ideas about stuff like that. Right. Yep. And then the reality is like, oh, boy, the body just sort of like ceases to function if you're in low, low gravity for too long or there's all this cosmic radiation that is just going to fry you over time. Like if, like, if like you're so poorly adapted to be in space at all. Some people just start losing eye function. What? Yeah. So I didn't even know about that. Um, the, like basically when you go up and this can happen anytime, you could have been up before for a long time and go back again and it happens the, the second or third time. So you'll start losing, you start having a uh, reduction in visual acuity, uh, which they counter by basically eating a zero salt diet at that point. Huh? A very low salt diet. So yeah, like the thing that's happened is I, like, I distinctly remember reading either the forward or the afterward for either one of the Arthur C. Clarke 2001 books, either 2001, 2010, or the one that came out in the eighties, 2060, the Haley's comet one. I can't remember anyway. Um, and he basically was like, look, if we hadn't pissed away all this money in Vietnam, we would have had money to build out low earth orbit, right? Like the money we spent losing Vietnam for 10 years would have paid for this and more. And you know, all these social plans and all this, and the thing that's become clear over the last 20 years, especially since we started living in ISS and had astronauts and cosmonauts stay there for months and years, is that it's, it is everything that we thought was going to be hard is infinitely harder than we thought it was going to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like, I mean, I feel like, I, I think we'll see one-way trips to Mars. 
in our lifetime. Wow, you really think in our lifetime? Like I am not. I mean, I I have I feel like I have a few years left. I'm not. Well, I know, but think <laughs> the way things seem to be trending. I don't know. Well, I mean, fair. It feels like we're so, going to have a lot of more pressing problems on our hands. <laughs> to I don't know. So the TLDR on Grant's question, though, not, not to forget to answer the actual question, is I don't think that bad VR is going to help you not get space sick. Um, I think that it might if you have visual and if you're especially sensitive to the visual and and ear uh, separation stuff. But my guess is it's not. I, I'm sure that we have a physiologist or somebody in the in the Discord who actually knows the answer to this, and I would love to hear it. So please write in if yeah. you do, or or to techbotcontent.town for sure. That's a guess, just to be clear. Um, here's can a we question. do the next one, the frostbite one? one. It's not it's not highlighted, but it's Wait, pretty good. Which one? Oh, oh, geez. Well. I thought about saving Thanksgiving topic or questions for the patron episode, but sure. Let's throw it out there. It's tis the season. Frostbite 1231. What's the best Thanksgiving side dish? Stuffing. Wow. Just, Maybe your mom's broccoli casserole actually right off is the, the real answer. That is, it has stuffing in it. That, that's flattering of you to say. I, I, so first of all, I became aware of green bean casserole a few days ago. As You've being, had green bean casserole at our house before. As, as, well, no, no, no. Let me finish. I, I became aware of it as a staple of Thanksgiving. Like, Oh, yeah. It's a thing. Here's how I know, like I had it at your house and I, you know, I've had it, but I didn't realize here's, so here's how I know it's a staple. Yeah. I saw some meme going around on Twitter. One of those, like, which one would you eliminate? And it's like a three by three grid of Thanksgiving foods. Right. Yeah. And green bean casserole was on that list. And I was like, oh, wow. People actually considered that green bean casserole, like a pillar of Thanksgiving, apparently, which I didn't know that mac and cheese is a pillar of Thanksgiving. Wait, what? No, we never had mac and cheese. Oh my God. Like mac and cheese accompanied literally every family get together. Mm. And holiday of any kind ever when I was growing up. So we, the other one that we, I didn't know for a long time. My mom doesn't like mashed potatoes particularly. What? I know it's weird. Oh man. So we didn't, we had rice with our Thanksgiving meal for many, many years, like rice and gravy, rice and gravy, pretty good. Yeah. But it's no mashed potatoes. That's basically the only way I had rice growing up was with gravy. Yeah. We would put butter and sugar on it for I breakfast was, sometimes. I was not exposed to the many, many, many other uses of rice that I have since become acquainted with. It turns out rice is, am- is amazing. It's pretty good. Pretty versatile. Um, uh, and now I'm sitting here Googling the broccoli casserole because I don't know what the name of that is exactly. And I wouldn't know how to tell people like what to look up. We always just called it broccoli casserole. I mean, it's your mom sent me a handwritten. When I asked for the recipe, she sent a handwritten note, as I yes. recall. Like, um, I, I think she literally has a thing of recipes that she hand wrote down from her mom. So it is the things that go in it are some broccoli. There's a couple of kinds of cheese and butter. And then it's just I want to say Pepperidge Farms stuffing. OK, um, like the sagey crumb stuffing. That's, that sounds right. And it's delish. It's it is very, really, really good. It's very good. Extremely heavy. Yeah. Like it's like it's like you get like four bites maybe. Yeah. And you par- you partially that's I'll tell you what. When we have that, because we made it Christmas last year, it is the thing that I save on my plate for the last bite. Wow. Yeah. Damn, that is high praise. Yeah. It was it was the thing that always got slaughtered the fastest when people got to get together, especially yeah. like especially growing up, like when we were all like teenagers and growing and wanted to eat a lot. Like that was the thing that just got decimated. It, well, it hits all of the casserole notes like it's like incredibly it's packed with flavor it's mm-hmm. salty and there's a good texture to it and it's yep. like got it's some rich. gooey bits and it's very rich yeah yeah some some texture in there you know the broccoli's got a little bit of a bite to it 
Yeah. So shout out to Brad's mom. Yeah. That's, I, I, you might have, you might have convinced me. I would have just said stuffing as well, but I think I might actually go with the broccoli casserole. I mean, the, because the broccoli casserole has the stuffing in it. Sure. That, yeah. that is like, it's like a twofer. I, I will say though, I mean, y'all make the, the butt stuffing, the actual stuffing. In fact, should I just read this other? Is there another stuffing email? Oh yeah, there's like three other. Well, emails. so the reason the reason I like doing this the secret the secret reason that's not secret because I tell everybody this the reason I like the spatchcocking is because you instead of just the amount of stuffing you can pack into the cavity without getting food poisoning, you lay the entire turkey on a mound oh, of stuffing, so I, all of the fat from the bird drips down through the stuffing as it's cooking. Okay, now yeah, now that I've witnessed the <laughs> spatchcocking process, I totally get that. It's just a question of surface area. <laughs> Yeah, so you get like you, instead of having like one little precious tub of butt stuffing, right. and then a whole buttload of kind of dry sad stuffing like, with butter nobody, on it. Nobody wants the sad stuffing. No, no, you get all good stuffing. So think about it. You just have to make sure to keep the thermometer around. Well, no, no. With the, so with the spatchcocking, there's no problem because when the, oh. when you're when you're done, when the bird's done, you. I mean, a when you're cooking Thanksgiving, the best way to make sure you don't food poison everybody is to get. Uh, the get a, a thermopen if you want to buy the fancy one, or the thermopop is like a twenty dollar. It's an instant read digital thermometer. It's I it's ISI certified. It's like a f- super good thermometer, and they're they're the cheap version is awesome too. Uh, and yeah, as long as it hits one hundred sixty five in the middle, you're fine. And in the spatchcocking, it always happens because the 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 surface area of being heated, it's like not inside the cavity of the bird where it's the last thing to eat. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you, did you did did you start spatchcocking midstream? Because I feel like early Thanksgivings at your house, you did have a thermometer out for the for the butt stuffing. Well, I mean, I always I always thermometer everything. Oh, just because I don't want to make anybody sick. Just being safe. Um, That's yeah, conscientious. The, we started spatchcocking probably like twenty thirteen or twenty twelve would be my guess. So okay. it was early on. Okay, sure. Like when whenever whenever America's Test Kitchen did that Martha Stewart's deconstructed reconstructed turkey, that's when I started spatchcocking because like, this is amazing. Um, you know what? I'm just going to read the other two stuffing emails. Let's, let's just, let's just do them all here. RK Harris 62. Apparently this was a, an argument in the food channel on the discord. Perfect. I love, arguments. Uh, do you call, do you call the classic Thanksgiving side dish dressing or stuffing, particularly when it's not actually being stuffed inside a Turkey? Always stuffing. Always. Yeah. Dressing, so, dressing should be a liquid to me. Yeah. I'm with you, but early on in my life, like when I was a young child, I would have called it dressing because that's. And I, I'm guessing mm. that was like I kind of handed down from the old timers. This is very like, much a regional thing, too. I feel okay. like dressing the further south you get, the more likely it's to be it is to be called dressing. OK, but I, I don't know. I it's always, always stuffing in my like house. My, my, my I can I can remember my grandmother calling it dressing. Yeah, but, but also they called um, they called lunch dinner. And dinner we, supper, like we I, had I don't know dinner, if, we had dinner. Did you have like, that? that was definitely a country like the farmers around me would say, hey, you want to come over for dinner? And they would do like this is this is on working farms, not like toy farms where they would have the farmhands and like do the whole biscuits and biscuits and gravy and, you know, salt pork and stuff like that at lunch. Right. And then on a big picnic table outside, they would go back to work. Yes, yes, that's pretty much that was pretty much it. Dinner was the midday meal. Yeah. For them. And, and, And just to be clear, that was probably the big meal for those folks, I would guess. But yes, these days, stuffing, 100%. Stuffing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, last one from Worf, son of Moog. Sweet stuffing or savory stuffing? Sausage stuffing for life. Sweet stuffing can suck it. They say. Man, I've never had sweet stuffing before. It's actually oh. the the main reason that I mentioned the sausage stuffing. 
here is that we had stuffing yesterday that had both apples and Italian sausage in it. Ooh, how was that? Pretty damn good. Pretty damn Were the good. Italian sausage chunks or, or discs? Uh, chunks. Chunks. Like okay. a, yeah. Kind like of a sweet Italian or a... Yeah, sort of. Not spicy. Um, not really, no. It was a it was a sourdough bread base, like just literal loaf oh, of yeah, sourdough yeah. bread allowed to to get stale. Yeah, like, I, 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 I I don't think I've ever had a stuffing I didn't like, so I'd try whatever. Yeah, it's kind of hard to screw up. I when feel like I'm I'm tempting fate by saying that, but I can't really think of how you could actually like make t- truly bad stuffing. When we first moved here, we had um a friend of ours invited us to to a friend of hers like friendsgiving and it was a bunch of italian like children of italian folks and also chefs so the chefs made like three different kinds of protein we oh, had like man, lamb course. and beef and turkey oh. and then somebody made a fish and the italians all just made pasta dishes except uh this one woman made uh a stuffing that was like it was like coastal stuffing like it was kind of it was like what i I did. I wish I had asked her about it, but I, my guess is it's like Pacific coast equivalent of like new England oyster stuffing. Um, cause it was like Dungeness crab and there were some cranberries in there. Huh. It was, it was a real, like, like it, it, you got, you got all of the salt, fat, acid, heat, like, except for the, there was no heat, I guess, but you got salt, fat, acid, and there was a little bit of sweet in there and it was, it was delish. That sounds pretty good. Is oyster yeah. stuffing actually a thing? Yeah, oyster stuffing's a thing. So you uh, what? put you put uh you chuck them in with it and you you get they like steam inside those inside. Oh, the, that sounds good as hell. Yeah, they're pretty delish. Man. You want you want small oysters, I think, for that, is it, not is like it big le- chunky ones. Is it legal to go make more stuffing after Look, this? Man, you can you can have stuffing anytime you want. Look, now that you spatchcock the bird, you can have stuffing literally anytime you want. Oh no, don't tell me that. Because if you'd put that bird on a pile of stuffing, you'd have butt stuffing right now. Do not put ideas into my head. We have to move on. I really want to go up and get oysters now also. Yeah. I don't know why you just put the, put the idea of oysters in my head. And I really, do you ever, do you guys ever do that? Go up to like uh, Bodega Bay or Tomales Bay and just go to the places with the picnic tables and buy a half bushel of oysters and sit no. down and eat them. How, how much is How much is a bushel? A bushel's a lot. A bushel's like a big giant basket. Like we would buy, we would usually buy like 36 for like a, uh, Four people, probably. Uh, that's that's then a maybe go back amount. for some more. Yeah, that's a decent amount. We have not but, done that. We've had oysters around here pretty recently, but not. Yeah, right there They're, on the coast. But when when they when when you get them right where they pull them in and you get them like they wash them and then they put them out. It's a pretty mir- mir- like they're good here. Just, they're really good here. Just like just like minutes out of the water to your mouth. Yeah, dude. Man, they're so briny. Like you get uh, a big salt shot when you oh, when you drink so them. That sounds yeah. so good. Open oyster. All right. Arietis. I'm going to say that's close. That's close. Yeah. Uh, seeing as how November 14th was the 20th anniversary of the original Xbox, I thought it'd be fun to look back. What were the big touted features and what were you guys blown away by when it first came out? I was only 10 at the time, so I don't really remember anything about the hype. Uh, but I do remember being super happy when my brother and I got one for Christmas that year, along with Halo and NFL Fever 2002. I was kind of curious what you would have to say about this, because like I was... Yeah, less working in the games press, but you were way more. I was more, a Max PC, right, right? You were way more on the PC side, and like that thing being kind of a hobbled, uh, integrated PC. Like, I'm curious what the perspective was on on your side. Yeah the the thing that they kept telling us was that there was going to be good game support for it because it was easy to port PC games over because it was just x86 and like it was basically 
I think it was like an N-Force 2, basically, right? With a kind of souped up GPU. I think you're right. Yeah. Wasn't it um, was like kind of a GeForce 3 plus in that thing? It was a G. It was a GeForce MX, basically, is my recollection. Okay, but but yeah. So, um, I the thing that I remember people being really stoked about because I didn't. I don't think I bought an OG Xbox until Xbox Live was around, and as soon as Xbox Live hit and Halo Two came out, and I could play multiplayer stuff with voice, that was a big big deal. Like I remember, I remember being really excited to like be able to hang out with my like. It was really. Like I'd played a lot of multiplayer stuff and like we would play Battlefield 1942 and Battlefield 2 and eventually and stuff like that in the office, Quake 3, whatever, in the office after work. But like it was hard. I mean, I guess TeamSpeak existed then. But it was unusual. It wasn't until probably uh, Team Fortress 2 that like I got into a group of friends that were playing on a TeamSpeak server and we would all just play together. So it was nice because I could hang out with my friends after after work and we'd play video games together. Um, I remember thinking it was cool that they were shipping a console with Ethernet and a hard drive in it. Yeah. Like I remember thinking like, oh, wow, that's like very forward thinking. But at the same time, I was so deep into the PC at that time that I was like, I admired the Xbox, but still only played it like it was a console. Like anything like we were talking about, I just did on the PC already. Right. Because it's like, yeah. oh, like I'm already playing shooters over here with a mouse and, you know. Better frame think, rates and like I can already talk to people and stuff. I think I played KOTOR on the original Xbox, probably. Yes. But I, I think that's because it came out there first. I can't remember. That sounds right. Um, but yeah, it was it was very much a this is gonna go in the second bedroom with the with the extra TV, and it's a place to play video games. And also, like I feel like Gina and I made when did was Burnout 3 an original Xbox or yes. game or was that yeah. So we played a lot of Burnout 3. We played okay. a lot of like racing games and stuff like that on that. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, eventually what the Xbox was, was my first exposure to the idea of kind of, how could I describe it? Like rich presence in an application, sort of like constant, yeah. constant, always online internet updating information type stuff. Specifically, yeah. <laughs> specifically an Xbox media center. Like when I, toward the end, when I soft modded my Xbox and put XBMC on there and like. I fired it up for the first time and there's a little news scroll at the bottom of it. I was like, holy fucking shit. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. This thing is constantly pulling in real time data from somewhere that I can't see and updating itself with it. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it was just the the idea of always online, always connected stuff was so new at that time. It's 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 funny because like that whole like say did they have parties on the original Xbox, too? I don't think so. It was very rudimentary. Like because remember, like the idea of. Actual rich presence, which was a, like a marketing term that Microsoft used, right? Yeah. And they was new on the 360. When they launched the 360, the idea that you could look right. at friends list and see what people were doing was like mind blowing. Right. Because it the games, there was no system level friends list. I mean, there was a system level friends list for gamer tags, but like each game was responsible for implementing that stuff on the Xbox, the OG Xbox, I right. think. I, I remember I played that's that's kind of the system. Like I was friends with some people kind of casually that we like we'd go watch football games and stuff together at bars but then links came out and we started playing links once or twice a week and would just hang out and and do video golf and like it was such a pleasant experience to just a nice way to spend two hours you know playing some golf and everybody would hit the balls and we'd talk and shoot the shit it's where it's where i um that's the first place i spent a lot of time with tatum i think huh yeah it's been a long road for the xbox it has been. I can't believe 20 years, man. Yeah, it's wild. I don't know if you've seen uh, 
kind of a lot of the celebratory stuff they're doing. Like, have you been to museum.xbox.com? I did. That was cool. The thing is like shockingly elaborate and pretty neat. If we tell people to all go to the to their like to jump in our profiles at the same time, will that will we see them pop up? Are those those are real people, presumably? I right? think so. It, it looks too cr- uh, crowded and chaotic. At least it did when I got in there to be yeah. fake because there were yeah. just avatars everywhere when I got in there, like like dozens of them. It was really cool. I wish that it was I wish that it, I was able to like dig into my Halo history because I would have loved yeah. to see like how many games of Halo 2 I played. But it felt like that era was a little thin. Maybe. As, as as awesome as that display is, if people hadn't seen it, it's like a little 3D, like fully navigable, like museum. Like you it's run, like a third person game. Yeah, yeah, like you run in your browser. It's like pretty decent 3D graphics. You run your little avatar around and like see these giant Xboxes with displays all over the place. That's like. First time you logged in on an Xbox 360, first achievement you ever earned, uh, most played game by year, all this stuff. Like it's it's super cool, but you definitely see holes where they weren't tracking enough data. Um, well, they won't make that mistake again. <laughs> I guess not. Now that you mention it, but I, I do wish there was a little more granularity in some of that stuff. I would love to see even more about like because like the for example, the most played games only goes back to like 2017 or something like yeah. that. I I like props to whoever did the curation and and the the work on that museum stuff because like they didn't pull punches. Yes, like, they definitely they called out like there was a big section about the red ring on the 360. Mm-hmm. They called out the the big failures of their platform the, over the years. The reveal of the Xbox One was very self critical. Like yeah, it, it flat out said like people you know. Microsoft hosted an event in Seattle to unveil the Xbox One, but but gamers balked at the high price tag and always online requirements and included Connect. And it's like, wow, you are not yeah. beating around the bush here. They they had a thing in there about shutting down Mixer. Yeah. Like it was it's pretty much all the ups and downs. It was unusually I like it was it was lighter than it would be if a if a journalistic outpost had done that work, but it was still way heavier than I yeah. expected for like corporate communications. Absolutely, so, yeah. Well, props you know, to Microsoft. Ever since Phil Spencer came in and implemented Glasnost, it, you know, yeah, they've they been much more open. It's I mean it's it's so refreshing to see a giant company like Microsoft talking about like like it makes me feel good to know that they're introspective enough to know that like hey this stuff was actually a real problem. Mm. And, 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 and that helps, like, it makes me feel better about the company, right? About buying their shit. Yes. Uh, weird thing to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the same time, I'm, I'm sure they have fully figured out the utility of being open and positive and and honest with people at this point, right? Like the, the hearts and minds, public relations aspect of, of being that way, even though it's the right thing to do, I'm sure they also just from a utilitarian standpoint, realize that it benefits them heavily as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and look, no corporation does things out of the goodness of their, of their corporate hearts. Right. Right. But, but like it does. Yeah. Anyway, it's, 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 it should be celebrated when people are more honest about their companies are more honest about their bullshit. For sure. Um, Maybe just a little bit though. Not too much. Yes. Yes. A question from where beastie. What would it take to get you to daily drive Linux as your desktop OS? Oh, I've done that before. Uh, assuming you'd still have access to Windows for work obligations, what else is stopping you? I ask because it seems like your interests and preferences more closely align with how things work in the Linux realm than to the modern Windows experience. You have done that before? I did it from like 2004 to 2005 for oh, a whole geez, year. Oh, jeez, man. That's like the primordial era. Yeah, I ran, you? I want to say I ran Debian, but it might have been, it was right around the time Ubuntu was coming up. So I might've switched to Ubuntu midway do you, through. Do you have any um, idea what the desktop environment was at the time that you were using? I tried both KDE, KDE and, and Gnome. Gnome. Yeah. Um, I did not. Uh, so at the time I was the, 
either technical technical editor or executive editor of the magazine, which meant I didn't have to get into InDesign files ever. So that's why it worked for me. I see. Um, I used GIMP for photo editing, for image editing, which was fine. I used OpenOffice, I think, for word processing, which worked well. And then around, I feel like it wasn't too, it was probably just after that that we switched over to using Google Docs for that stuff because it was um, like in, like the ability to get into a file and see what somebody else is typing is so incredibly powerful when you're working on a team of writers yeah. that it was it was difficult to stay on the the desktop clients. Sure, um, like, but the, get, having done it, I'm good. <laughs> sure. I like to play games. Like I, I'm when I sit down in front of my computer, I want to do the thing that I want to do, and oh, I don't want to have to futz with it at all. I, I, I am I am generally with you, but I will say that you. Can, you can't just go out there and say, I want to play games anymore because there's a whole contingent of Linux gamers who will swarm you like look in, Brad, in, the, I, era, in the era. Oh, go ahead. No, I I'm just saying, like, I turn off GeForce experience to get the extra 8% yes, performance. I'm with you. I, Running I, proton is a, is wonderful and great, but if I'm playing competitive games, I want the frames. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think proton's awesome. Wine is awesome. Like all those stuff. I mean, for all the problems, like electron apps are cool just for their cross platform stuff you know as i guess yeah i mean <laughs> i know they have a lot of drawbacks but and a lot of you know like like you said all the all the stuff that's web-based these days like i imagine using linux as a workstation is like way more viable than it's ever been i mean a um, couple of our devs at at straight up are linux desktop people interesting. i believe uh, you know even for, a lot of the machines. All, all, you know most most of the the really big name open source productivity things are by nature, cross-platform, you know, Blender, Audacity, yeah. uh, you name it, stuff like that. I, I want to see, so I do know, like, I have a bunch of friends who do web front front end and, and back, you know, like full stack web stuff. And most of them work in a Linux environment that runs in a VM on their Windows desktop. Interesting. Right? Or, okay. on a, or on a hypervisor if they're yeah. crazy. Or, you know, and in Windows 11 with the Windows uh, subsystem for Linux 2. Yes. And the fact that it does GUI, you know, X11 support now, like you kind of don't need it. Well, but the benefit of doing it in a, like, especially for the dev work, the benefit of doing it in VMs is that then they can have a VM for their, for their environment. That's their test environment, like the machine that they build off of and sure. test on. Yeah. And the, but then they also don't have to rebuild their environments all the time, right? Like if you get a new laptop and you want to go switch over to that new laptop, if you have it in a VM, then you don't have to do all the stuff to configure all your bash scripts yes. and all the, you know, it's just, is all there, which is, which is really like shockingly beneficial. And having, having it being easily clonable and transferable. Definitely. I can see is a huge, yeah. a huge boon, but um, yeah, I think the scenario you just described is probably the only one where I would actually run Linux full time is in some kind of, some kind of development or DevOps or some sort of role full time like that. But otherwise like, Windows is too viable for for this stuff at this point to, for me to switch to give it's, up all the benefits of being in Windows, right? Like there there are enough hooks into the open source world from Windows at this point that I'd much rather just accept those compromises than the different set of compromises that running Linux would bring. Yeah, the benefit of the default is strong. Yeah, yeah. which is which is hard for everyone else. Also, like I I'm probably going to switch to a Linux server for the next server, like my next NAS update. Hmm, so we should talk about that. Yeah. Anyway, you mentioning the BSD is is notoriously power inefficient made me think like, hmm, he's been doing some research. Yes, I've been, well, it's something I paid attention. Like, I plugged a watt meter into my NAS uh, four years ago when I set this one up. I was like, oh wow, <laughs> this is bad. I've been thinking about that exact topic and trying to track that, but like figuring out how much 
actually went onto the FreeBSD Discord and asked people like, hey, is there a way to track actual electricity consumption in the CPU on this thing? And nobody had an answer. The way you do it is like, you plug a thing in between right, the wall right. and the box. Yeah, I, I meant without hardware because I was no, just I too, too lazy to order something. But like like on Linux or Windows, like those those things can be figured out through software. Yeah, but, well, but, kind of. I mean, not yeah, maybe 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 yeah. it is an approximation actually, but yeah, because it doesn't way, count like hard drives and stuff like that. It, oh it sure, just, sure. It I, just counts the CPU burn and the GPU burn. In my case, like, I was just looking for CPU because I was wondering if I should try to clock down or undervolt or anything to save some juice. But well, yeah, the problem with BSD, at least the version that's on my NAS box, is it doesn't step down. Like it doesn't. I don't even think it does the thing where it turns off areas of the CPU that aren't being used. The C states. C states. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. One more question. Okay, what you got? It's a short one. It's from Badfinger. I have one more too. Oh. So I'm going to pull one from the from the from the mail. Uh, Badfinger, what is the correct one syllable shortening of terabyte? We have megs and gigs. What's next? I man, I, this has broken my brain. I know. I have I, no idea. Terras? Tebs? Te- tebs? Tebs? No, I don't hate it. Tears? I don't hate Tebs. Actually, I feel like I should, but I don't. I I don't. I'm not proud of Tebs. No, I I don't. Tears. I don't have a good feeling about any like of I'm, this. I'm rolling them around in my head right now. I'm like trying to sound them out. Tears, Tebs, Terras. It's it's all bad. I, none of them are great. I don't know. I mean, Meg is kind of weird when you think about it, though. What about what about terabyte? I I mean that works. That's not one syllable though. Got a terabyte. <laughs> I'm sorry. You could say it as fast as you want. It will never be one syllable. Terabyte. Nope. Turbite. Keep turbite. going. No nope. termite. Termite. Turbite. Turbite. Um, turb. Turb. Turb is good. Where do you uh, where do you land on the whole like megabytes versus mebibytes? I, I try not to think about that stuff at all <laughs> if I can help it because it just makes me upset. Where do they where do they end up standardizing? Is it um, bytes is the base eight or base tw- base two megabytes are the base 10, I believe. I look. It is. An ex- this is an exhausting question. I think, I think I think the argument was that like Kilo, for example, is an existing like uh, metric. Base 10. Yeah. Prefix that implies a specific measurement. Right. And so it yeah. should be a thousand. It should be a thousand bytes, not a thousand twenty four. Yeah, that's that's my I think is, is how that broke down. Always been my understanding. But I, I don't I don't. Kibs. Nibs. Uh, Mebs. No. I mean, look, <laughs> give me bite. Using the base 10 number to make your base eight number or base two number seem bigger is a longstanding tradition in bad PC marketing mm-hmm. and bad ISP marketing and all of that. Yes. I, I, I just, just, just do what the people understand. Do megabytes, do yeah. megabits, me- yes. megabytes per second. Like don't, don't make it any harder than it needs to be. It's already hard enough. Damn so it. Sadly, I think we will have to foresaw an answer to the actual question here because we don't have a good uh. I'm going to go with Tebs. Tebs? I mean, that's of, of the proposals so far, I would agree with you. But I feel like we can do better. As a I would community. Like what, what? Yeah, let's hear what the community says. As, as a community, we can do better. All right. Last question uh, from the actual emails. Yes. So the last we got, um, we got a letter from a chronobiologist, which is oh. a person who studies the biology of time and rhythms and stuff like that. Oh, my God. This and is they asked me not to put their name in, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, it's kind of long. Uh, uh, as a biologist working in the sleep and circadian rhythms field, I wanted to commend you for not fucking up your daylight savings time episode. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah. That was a scary one. Yeah. Uh, t- 
Too many people have overlooked the argument that daylight saving time should be permanently abolished, even though that is by far the consensus position of chronobiologists. I'd wager even more than the man-made CO2 consensus among climate researchers. It looks like that's changing slowly, but hasn't yet reached the awareness of enough legislators in the U.S. or in uh, Canada, where the government is attempting to move to permanent daylight saving, even though the effects would be among the worst possible for a large city like Vancouver. Um, The largest analysis of car accidents following the spring forward transition was published about two years ago. It's the one that I referenced. Um, uh, There was an acute increase at both the morning and afternoon driving times, which was more pronounced at the western ends of time zones. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the acute effects of DST are not the ones, the only ones to be concerned about. There's growing evidence of chronic health disturbances from having our social clock be mismatched with the solar time throughout the year. For example, this large-scale epidemiological study found that living on the western end of a time zone increases risk for at least a dozen types of cancer by anywhere from 5 to 10%. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. The best argument against permanent DST may be that Russia moved to permanent DST in 2012 and everyone hated it so much that they moved back after two years. Uh, if I was a gambling man, I'd say that's likely how many of your northern states would react, especially the ones on the western side of time zones, it seems like. Um, and then I asked a follow up question because I was like, this is fascinating. How yeah. do we get to talk to somebody with this skill set? Seriously. And I wanted to know, um, does this mean we need more time? Does this Western, the Western edge of the time zone thing being out of sync with the sun mean that we need to shrink and have more time zones to shrink the overall width and ease the pain for the folks on the Western edge of existing time zones? I love it. And they said smaller time zones would be one solution. We even have a time zone in Canada that's offset by 30 minutes in Newfoundland. There's also a related issue that the location of some time zones is just stupid relative to the solar day. For example, the western edge of Spain is on the same time as the eastern edge of Poland, even though the difference in sunrise in December is almost two hours. So going to work in Spain at 8 a.m. feels like going to work at 6 a.m. in Poland, all other things being equal, which they aren't exactly, but the effect is substantial. I think a more effective general solution would be the thing that you mentioned in the podcast for school kids, which is where you move work obligations to start later in the day and make them more flexible. Um, moving every nine to five job to a 10 to six would also be equivalent to moving the clocks one hour in the opposite direction of daylight savings time. Uh, but I think it might be harder to se- harder sell to frame it that way. It's likely low grade chronic sleep disruption that's causing the deleterious long term health effects at the western edge of time zones because people with circadian rhythms that are physiological pre- physiologically predisposed to waking up later in the solar day are being forced to wake up too early to go to work. I'll be interested to see future data about people who have switched to working from home and cut their commute times out of their morning routine and hopefully replace them with better and more sleep. So that's man. fascinating. Wow, man. I thought those cancer stats are eye opening. That's the Western side of the time zone. It's like we're in the middle of our time zone. So we're in a good spot here. Sure. Right. Um, but, but yeah, like the, when you, there's a, there was a graph of the map of the data and it's like the Northwest corner of time zones was real bad. Like, upper montana mountain mm-hmm. time don't don't it's maybe don't live in northern <laughs> northwestern montana huh anyway that stuff's wild this that, is a weird it's a weird one like that having just having heard that email may have like a non-zero effect on any moving plans i may have in the future <laughs> well so the other thing is the further south you are the less it matters right sure the the pr- differences in the day are less pronounced and yeah. also you work at a different like you and I are pretty insulated from this because we both work from home mm. and we work uh, like I, my my office hours are like 10 to four. And then I usually work a few more hours after that at the end of the day. So like I get up and help my daughter get to school, but then I can go take a nap if I need to. And 
you know, whatever. Sure. Um, I thought it was interesting though. That is fascinating. I just that is didn't fascinating. know that it was a profession until this email came in. <laughs> it's like, that's one of those that you feel flattered just to have received. Yeah. We, we get, but, it's always nice to, when we get those. Um, cool, so that's cool it for this week's episode, I guess we've turned the cues and days, Brad, congratulations. Do we have more? Uh, we just might. So, like, if we were doing a patron episode in a, in a day or two, maybe would we perhaps have some more cues to turn to days? Maybe more of the whimsical ones. Which we have actually an embarrassment of riches going back months of questions that we have not managed to answer yet. I'm sitting here looking at the 34 pages of questions from October. Wow. That was a lot of questions. Granted, granted, I pasted them straight out of Discord, and there's a lot of formatting garbage in here that's padding that number out a bit, but it's a lot of questions. Straight out of Discord is my favorite Ice Cube album. That's right. Uh, let's do the thing that we do at the end of the episode every yeah. week. Well, do first it. off, we should tell people how to submit cues. If they enjoyed this, they yes. want to submit their own cues. Techpod at content.town is the email address. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in the Discord, if you're a patron, if you have gone to patreon.com slash techpod and signed up for as little as $2 a month, you can go into the question seeking answers channel and post your own questions and we will see them and we will read them and we may or may not answer them uh, next month. We'll do our best. Yeah, we try. And also, I I hate to say this. This comes up a lot. Warbird asks Lane Kiffin questions because I, I don't know why I'm not. I can't believe I'm encouraging this. <laughs> I think Lane Kiffin is maybe right to always to never punt. I think not punting in college football is often the right choice. Wait, hang on. Do you have actual opinions about all the inane college football questions? I, it, I didn't, I didn't realize. time in my life when I was actively engaged with this. Okay. Okay. I've been so a had... Tennessee fan for long enough that I've, that's, that it's broken my will to engage with football at all. I see. Okay. So that, that, that provides a little bit of context to the fact that these questions don't stop coming. It's just constant dragging. All it does is make me sad every time I see one. I just, I didn't realize you had any positions on the matter. That's good to know. I always have positions. Do you, do you have a list of patrons to thank? Oh, should we think about it? Well, it's the end we of the should. month. So we thank both our executive tier and our associate producer tier patrons. So uh, on the executive producer tier, thank you to hashtag bunny crimes. Andrew Slosky, uh, Paddle Creek Games, makers of Fractured Veil, David Allen, Jacob Chappell, James Kamek, Joel Krauska, Twinkle Twinkie, and Twinkle Twinkie. That's that's the and now also thank you to our associate producer tier patrons, Andre Burke, Arthur Geese, Dan Brockman, Dave Yulian, Graham Banks, Jad Rita, Jason Neeland, Jay Maybe, Jorge Pereira, Josh Klein, Julian, Mike Bell, Nathan Phelps, Ryson. Sanchit Kumar, Steve Lynn, Terry Cox, Thomas Shea, and Wedge. Thank you all so, so yes, much. Thank we really you very appreciate much. it. Yes, greatly appreciate it. We're thankful for everyone. I Look, I'm always, I, I, I posted on Twitter yesterday, but like the, the communities that have built up around the weird stuff that we do are, are lovely and yeah. enriching, and I, I'm grateful to be part of them. Truly so. a delight. Yes. Um, if you want to find out how you can join, you can go to patreon.com slash checkpot. We are 100% listener supported. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's what pays for everything. That's, that's it. And that's all just listeners. So, uh, we appreciate everybody's, everybody's Patreon support and we will be back next week with another episode of Brad and Will made a tech pod. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.